We turn this morning to the book of Exodus, the 23rd chapter, beginning in the 14th verse. Exodus 23, 14 begins, Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you, at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, from what you sow in the field, also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. Would you pray with me this morning? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for every blessing that you have poured into our lives. And we acknowledge along with James who said that every good gift comes from above. And we know, Lord, that everything that we have in our life that is good, that is rich, that is a blessing, is a gift from you. So we have come into your house today to honor you, to worship you, to live and love in relationship to you. You are our God, and you have given your best. And so we desire today to give our very best to you. We pray by the power of your spirit that you would open your holy word to us today, that you would breathe life into it, that you would help us to worship you as we should. We love you and desire to give our very best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last March, there were several of us that went to a ministry retreat outside Asheville, and it was a wonderful, it was a meaningful retreat. At the end of that time, we went over to Biltmore Baptist Church, and we desired to, to gather together to worship there. And let me tell you what, we went to Biltmore Baptist Church, and that was a church that's firing on all cylinders. From the very first moment you drive into the parking lot, there are people in the parking lot out there ready to greet you. It was such an incredible experience. We, they were friendly. The people were knowledgeable. You asked anybody any question, they were able to answer it. And uh, one of the other things that it just impressed me so much was the way that they took up their tithes and their offerings. You say, well, that's not uh, such a complicated thing. Well, at Biltmore, you could give in a lot of different ways. You know, they would pass the plate. I think they were more like buckets, but that's okay. And uh, there was a church that has about 11,000 people that go through it every Sunday. And one of the ways that those 11,000 people could give was through kind of this kiosk thing, this kind of ATM looking machine that was out in the, out in the foyer. And uh, what impressed me wasn't the ATM, but was the series of uh, uh, big screen TVs that were uh, just on the other side of the ATM. And, and the idea was that as you gave your offering, you could see what your giving was going toward, you know. And I remember over on the left-hand side, there was a church that they were building in South America. It looked to me like it was in Kentucky, you know, that rich red clay. And there they were putting out that brick so that they could have this great and glorious church. And they had a another church down in South Africa, and that was kind of on the middle screen. They were showing all of that, and not only around the world, but what they were doing for people right there in Asheville, you know, how they were blessing and how they were feeding the hungry. And uh, it was so incredible. And, and I thought as I was standing there, you know, looking at all these wonderful things, this is 
right. You know, this is wisdom. We should be able to see what our gifts are going for because if we don't, we're going to start to come to some faulty conclusions and, and we might come to think that maybe the church doesn't need our tithes and offerings or, or maybe that little bit that I give is not that important. And I just want to tell you this morning, none of those things are true. So I thought this morning that we might take a cue from Biltmore Baptist Church and highlight some of the things that are, are going on because of your tithes and your offerings and some of the good kingdom work that we might even celebrate because of your giving. For instance, did you know that your tithes and offerings are supporting missionaries around the world? You say, yeah, I know about Lottie Moon. and, and I know I'm talking about people that grew up in this church, people that you know, we're supporting missionaries in India and Romania and Kosovo and a little bit closer to home, Utah and Arkansas, people that we know, and not only just in other states and around the world, but your tithes and offerings are supporting and helping the needy right here in Sanford. Do you know that your tithes and offerings directly go to to housing the homeless, to feeding the hungry, to putting clothes on people's back that don't have everything that they need. And all of that is possible, and I hope that you rejoice over this when you give your offering and knowing that you're doing great kingdom work. Do you realize that your tithes and offering are helping children every week hide the word in their heart? I get such a kick every, every Wednesday night now. We get, you know, 22, 23, sometimes more kids that are coming and they're memorizing God's word. They're coming in, on Bible drill. You know, they're coming in vacation Bible school. And every one of those little steps that they're taking is bringing them one step closer to knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. Taking another step down the disciples' path. Why is that? How is it possible? Because of your giving, because of your offerings. Don't you ever think, beloved of God, that your gifts are unimportant, that they're not needed. What you probably don't know about your gifts, about your offerings and your tithes, is about all of the people that come every day and every week into this church. Those that come during the week that have a great need. Now, there are so many that come. Sometimes we can't help everybody. And those that we do, we can't help with very much. But here's what we can do. That little bit that we can give toward their electric bill or, or whatever their need is, that food card that you provide for them is a sign that someone cares about them, that someone loves them. It is a sign that God is there and, and, and cares about them through your gifts and your offering. Two weeks ago, there was a man that came in and all he said was, I just need some transportation. I need some help with gas money so I can get to a hospice in Virginia where I imagine that he'll spend the rest of his life. And your gifts and offerings enabled him to get there. Another young man was at the point, I promise you, of giving up on life. And we were able just to give him a food card. And it was a sign that someone cared and that there is hope. And it opened the door to be able to pray together. One man recently came in and he was asking for nothing. He asked for nothing, no financial assistance at all. But he was literally shaking. He was literally hopeless. And all he wanted to do was to have someone to talk to. Someone that was going to give him a greater vision of what was possible. Something that he couldn't see. He talked to me that he was at the 
end of his rope, that he was at the point of giving up, that he, he didn't think he was going to be able to bounce back. But you see, because of your gifts, your tithes and offerings, there was someone here that could speak to him, that could give him a fresh vision of hope and a sign that someone cared, a counselor to listen to him. And your tithes and offerings facilitated all of that. Brothers and sisters, I say again, don't ever think that your giving is unimportant to kingdom work. When we all bring our little bit together, it becomes something powerful. It becomes a lot. It's valuable. It opens the facility so that we can come and sing beautiful music, that we can come together and worship him. And most importantly, listen to me now, if you drifted off, oh, my soul, he's gone for two weeks and all he can come back with is a tithing sermon. No, I got to tell you, if you've drifted off, this is what I want you to hear above all. Your gifts and offerings are precious to your heavenly father. We don't think about that. You know, sometimes it's too easy just to go to that kiosk, to go to that online giving, to write that check with all the other ones. Listen, stop. And know this moment that your gifts are precious to your heavenly Father. We lose sight of it sometimes, and so we need to step back. We need to open the scriptures to remind ourselves. For instance, Exodus 23, 16. It says, also, you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits. Everyone say, first fruits. Oh, some of you back there, I'm a little concerned now. We're giving you one more time. First fruits. Well done. It's a huge theme. First fruits of your labor from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the end gathering at the end of the year. And the idea is this, 24 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this idea of first fruits is mentioned. The idea was that three times a year the Israelites would come in. Of course, it was an agricultural culture, and, and, and it was all based on what they could grow. And three times a year they would bring in the first fruits, the first 10% of everything that was grown, and offer it to the Lord. Now just stop for just a second, and we remember, and maybe you're already kind of arguing with me in your head a little bit. Listen, the Lord doesn't need my offering, and that's absolutely the truth. But what I want you to be able to see is three things from this passage so that you'll know that your gifts are important. The first thing is this. An offering of first fruits is a sign of trust for further provision. Some of you who farm know this. Some of you who garden. I was thinking about Roy Lowe this morning. I went out to visit there one day, and I was out to visit Ernie, and there was Roy in this thing he called a garden. Man, it went on and on. It looked like a farm to me. You know what I'm talking about, Roy, when you talk about, you know, you go out, you work hard, you plant, and what? With the anticipation that that first little bit of fruit would come. And how much more important it was for the Israelites because, brothers and sisters, you know there was no piggly wiggly down the street to go on. Everything that you were going to eat that year, you were going to grow yourself. And can you imagine just about during the, you know, the end of winter, the beginning of spring, and you look up at the cupboards, you look down in the basement, and there's not very much left. And you go out and you plant, and you plant, and you work, and you, know, you, you kind of keep one eye down on the shelf, and it's getting thinner and thinner. And, and you keep your eyes on the sky, and you say, oh, Lord, bring us rain, but, Lord, don't bring us too much rain. And you hear over in the next valley, there were locusts over there, and, oh, Lord, keep, keep the locusts away. We, we can't have that. 
There's nothing left. And all the work then begins to pay off, you know, and, and all of a sudden the first blooms come and the first fruits begin to appear. Oh, and can you imagine if you've been kind of at the wit's end, you start to see that big old juicy tomato. Come on now, there's nothing like that big old summer tomato, am I right? Or some of you, man, there's some of you, some of you have some of the most incredible fig trees I've ever seen. And you go out and you take one of those figs and you just, oh, it's so sweet and delicious, you know? And, and, and in Israel, you know, they have some of the greatest grapes in, in all the world, you know? And can you just hardly imagine you take that grape and, and you just want to press it down to make some of the best grape juice that's ever been made? And what a temptation at that moment just to have a party, to celebrate. It's been so long. It's been a hard winter. But our Heavenly Father says the first fruit, the very first fruit, is to be an offering to Him. Now we stop and remember that everything that God asks of us is for our own good. It's for our blessing. So why does He require the first fruit? Because in giving our first, we are reminded that everything comes from God. He's the one that gives the rain, but not too much rain. He's the one that keeps the locusts. He's the one that keeps the tires going just a little bit longer. He keeps the, the water heater from blowing up. He's the one that gives everything that's good in our life. He's our provider. And when we give our first fruit, our very First fruit is a sign that we know that God has promised that he will provide for us. It's a sign of our trust in him, our appreciation, our thankfulness in what he's given and that he will provide in the future. Now, financial experts of the world will tell you differently. They'll tell you that the very first thing you need to do is pay yourself. Have you ever heard that expression? Pay yourself. That means make sure that you write the first check to go into your savings account. Or maybe it goes into your IRA. And then, secondly, you pay your bills. And then if there's anything left over at the end, if you want to give that to charity, you want to give that to the church, well, that's the wisdom of the world. But what I want to tell you today, unashamedly, because I know God will bless, I know what he says is that it's not the last check, it's not the sorry leftovers that we're to give, but the very first thing that we give. The principle of first fruits is in effect. The very first that we give is to be unto the Lord. Listen to the word of God spoken through the prophet Malachi. This is an amazing statement. It is unlike anything else that is found in the scriptures. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. There's nowhere else in the Bible that those words will be found. There's nowhere else in the Bible that the Lord says, in fact, Jesus says, thou shalt not test the Lord your God, except here God says, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, if you bring in 
The principle is if you bring in that first fruits, if you bring in that tithe, that God is going to protect and he's going to bless and he's going to open the storehouse of heaven. And I can tell you not about boasting about myself, never about myself, but only about my God, that it has been the truth of my life. There was a time we struggled to tithe. When I was a young captain, we were living like young majors, you know, and that's not the way to do it. And I finally had to just say, I was so convicted about it, I went out and literally burned some credit cards, melted them in the backyard. And I cried out to God, feeling so incredibly broken, so much like a failure. Lord, help me in this. And one year from today, I want to be tithing. And, and, and if you help me to get to that point, we'll never stop tithing again. And the principle of first fruits, the tip, principle of what Malachi says has been proven in my life. And I won't embarrass you. There's many throughout the congregation that would say, amen, that's the testimony of my life too. God has provided. God has blessed beyond our imagination. We didn't think there was going to be enough. There turned out to be more than enough. Trust me in this. Test me in this, says your Lord. And see if he won't open the storehouse of heaven. It's the only place in the Bible those words are spoken. <clears throat> Secondly, I want you to see this. First fruits is a sign that God is worthy of our very best. Verse 19 says, you shall bring the choice. Everyone say choice. Oh, you did well. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. Choice meaning we are to give our very best. You see, when the Israelites returned to Babylon, what they found was a, a nation that was absolutely broken. The walls were falling down. The temple was falling down. Everything was harder. Everything was uh, harder than they anticipated it was going to be. They were constantly being attacked by outsiders. There was grumbling going on within the nation. And so when it came around the time to give their offering, to give their first fruits, you know, they knew what the command was. They were to bring that, that lamb, that lamb that was out without blemish. There was to be absolutely the, the best, the most perfect. And they look out and they see that perfect lamb and then they see one that's kind of limping over here. One that looks like it's not doing well. It's probably going to die. And they ask themselves, well, which one should I offer? Which one should I give the Lord? And it was kind of a no-brainer for him, wasn't it? Let's just give the one that's probably going to die anyway. But, but God replies in Malachi 1.8, when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? <coughs> Excuse me, why not offer it all to your governor? Why, would he be pleased? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? In other words, if you brought that to a worldly king, <coughs> pardon me, just one second. I'm out of practice. <coughs> if you brought that worldly king, some sorry leftover. 
if you brought that to your boss, to someone that was in charge, to someone that was a big deal in the world, would you bring that sorry sacrifice to him? Then why in the world would you bring it to the king of kings? The principle is easy. God gave us his very best in Jesus Christ. Now then, how can we bring him anything less than our best as well? Not the sorry leftovers. Not whatever's left at the end of the month. He gave his best, so we must give our best as well. Finally, and I think most importantly, I hope you understand this morning <clears throat> that first fruits is a sign of worship. Do you think about that? Numbers 28 says this, also on the day of the first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. I think we miss this in the modern church. I don't think we, when we pass our golden plates, I don't think we think of it as a moment of worship. I'm always blessed when one of the uh, ushers comes up and he offers a prayer for the congregation. I know it's not easy for some of them. They don't like to get up in front of a large group of people. But then I kind of wonder if we pass the golden plates of our, of our offering plates, do we really see it as a moment of worship? Because to me, <clears throat> it almost seems like it's more like halftime at a football game. You know, it's, oh, it's 11.30, good. Preacher's not going to go over this morning. Oh, it's time to smack the kids on the back of the head. They're acting up a little bit. Or, oh, it's time, my favorite thing. Please, get that noisy piece of candy out. You know, the one with the... <laughs> Adjust yourself. Figure out what you're going to have for lunch. But the problem is, as we go to the kiosk, or if we have that attitude as we pass the plates, we kind of forget that it's a holy moment. You see, we're in the same lineage. I was thinking just this morning, we're in the same lineage as all of those that brought their gifts to the temple, that carried them to the priests. It's an incredible moment of trust. It was a gift. It was a sacrifice. It was a holy moment. And it should be for us. We're in that same lineage. Listen how the Lord receives your offerings. Exodus 29, 18. You shall offer up in smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. Here's what I want you to get. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. That's the way that God sees our gifts when they're given in the right spirit. Yes, they're absolutely valuable. Yes, there's so many ministries that go on because of your giving, because of your tithes and your offerings. But listen, the one thing that I want you to know above all, because he is above all, is that your gifts and offerings are worship. They're pleasing when they're offered in the right attitude. When we give him our best, when we give him our first, when there is no compromise, Now, we understand that we don't bring rams, do we? So next week, I don't want you to bring your old goat to church. And when I say that, women, I'm not talking about your husband. <laughs> but it can be applied to a heartfelt prayer. Can you imagine 
How pleasing it must be to the Lord when you bring your offering with the right spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, because everything in my life is a gift from you. My wife, my sons, my church. It is a gift from you. I know that you are the giver when without you, I would have nothing. And above all, you have given Jesus Christ. And so when I lay this offering in the plates, it's such a small thing compared to what you have done, but I give it from my heart. And don't you know that that's a soothing blessing to the heart of God? Or how about this prayer? You know, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this month. I've dug myself a hole. There's more month than there is money. But I'm going to trust you. You have always provided for me. And so I give this offering with fear, but also with a little bit of excitement because I just can't wait to see how you're going to make all this work together. And can't you see that that would be a beautiful gift, a heartfelt offering, a soothing sacrifice to God? Of course, when we start talking about tithing, there's reasons that start bouncing around in our heads why we shouldn't. Things like the church doesn't need my little tithe. Well, that's not true at all. Your tithe supports dozens of ministries around the world in our country and in our community. And the truth is, we're not making our budget. And if something doesn't change, we'll likely have to make changes to those ministries. And I just want to remind you that ministries aren't line items on a dry piece of paper, but they represent real people with real needs. Another reason, I don't have enough. But based upon the scriptures and based upon my own experience, I believe that perhaps maybe if there's not enough, it's because we aren't tithing. Remember, God said, test me on this tithe and see if I won't bless you. How about this for a reason? When I make a little bit more, I'll give a little bit more. You know, statistically, that's not the truth. Statistically, the, the, the numbers say that lower income people tithe more than high income people. So now is the time to live the principle of first fruits, every one of us. This is my least favorite excuse of all. Well, tithing's just not in the New Testament. First, I'd respond by just saying, we don't throw away the Old Testament just because we have a New Testament. The principles that we see in the Old Testament are still alive. And secondly, Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe men and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus is saying there should be tithing. It's just part of the life of faith. But he also goes on to remind us that it's not a financial issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue. We give not because God needs it, but it is a sign of our love and our appreciation and our trust and our worship. The list of reasons that we don't tithe could go on and on. But it really comes down to just one. Matthew 6.21 says this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The most simple 
And likely the most accurate indicator of our life of faith may be our giving. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So may we give as a sign of trust. May we give our very best. And may our giving be a true act of worship. He gave his very best. Now may we do the same. I'm going to ask our ushers to come down. And as they come down, I just want to say to you that the reason that I've changed the order of service, I've shaken it up to put this at the last, was so that we might take life off autopilot for a moment. That we might truly consider that this is a holy moment. And that as we give our offering, that it is a gift of trust and love and faith in our God. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And yes, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the giver of all good gifts. The scriptures say that you are love. You are love. And we know it to be true. So we come humbly because you have given your best in Jesus Christ. And it is our desire this day and every day to give our best back to you. We know, Lord, that it is a small thing compared to what you have given that we have set this time and this offering aside as a holy moment dedicated to you. Accept our gift. Use it for your kingdom. Multiply it in ways that we cannot imagine for your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen.